Shot Teller, the Real NBA Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Kyle Stein, Jalen Utsi, and me, Michael Kimball. We are in week 11. Uh, we have the same teams leading the East, the Bucks, and the West, the Lakers. Not a lot has changed there, but it has been a very fun uh, week of basketball with the Christmas games and some other great games over the weekend. One of the teams that has just been great lately, the Miami Heat. Jalen, take it away. Yeah, um, they are 24-9. and They just lost to uh, the Wizards last night in a rare loss to a bad team. Uh, It was, I think, the third game in four nights, and they had just gone to overtime with the Sixers the night before. So uh, maybe a bit of a schedule loss, but you figure they should be able to beat the Wizards under any circumstances. Given, <laughs> Probably. Yeah, given, especially everybody out for the Wizards. and Yeah, you know. everyone's injured. Some dude named Matt Garrison was hitting a lot of shots last night. It was <laughs> it was uh, it was a wild Jordan night. Trey went off again. Yeah, it was it was a weird game. They ended up losing it. I think they only played about eight players. Um, so I think there's definitely a bit of a reckoning coming, coming, um, when it comes to their lineups and how many players are playing and the fates of Dion Waiters and James Johnson, uh, they may be pulled out of the doghouse simply, um, out of necessity, but before right. that, I mean, I think the story of the Heat is that Bam Adebayo is a star. I think he's an all-star. Definitely. I think he should be an all-star. Whether or not he gets in remains to be seen, but I think his play warrants it. Jimmy Butler um, is getting to the free throw line at will, um, but all of his shooting numbers are down across the board. He's shooting almost uh, the worst percentages since earlier in his career when he wasn't a star. He wasn't established. Um, so if that turns around later on in the season, he could be even more potent and their offense could tick up. Uh, Justice Winslow remains injured, which is relevant for Kyle's fantasy team. Um, uh, but Sadly, you know, I, I can't even believe I hold him sometimes. Well, it's been a well, long string of injuries for him. Yeah. It, it brings up an interesting question because one of the things I've seen is what is suggested as one of the reasons the Miami Heat are doing so well is lineup consistency. And they've had the lineup of none, Butler, uh, Tim Duncan, uh, David Robinson, uh, the big slow, uh, Myers Leonard, and then bam, I think it's 15, 16 games in a row now they've started together. When Winslow comes back, is that going to change, or is he going to be a second unit guy? How's how's that going to work? Do we have any idea? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think um, Jimmy Butler. I think he got nicked up a bit, like he had a hip injury or something in the game last night, and he and Bam have been playing a ton of minutes. Uh, the Heat seem to be always in overtime games. Um, they went to overtime against the Mavs. They went to overtime against the Sixers. Um, I think they've gone to overtime maybe four times this season. Uh, so I think that Winslow definitely needs to play and play big minutes, just if nothing else to give, uh, Butler more rest. Uh, I don't know if that needs to come in the starting lineup that remains to be seen, but, uh, Dragic, I think is what I was going to say, uh, the fact that Winslow has been out and Dragic has been this good is just another testament to um, the, the story of the Heat, I think, is surprise contributions. Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Gordon Dragic turning back the clock, you know, um, right. 
that's even how they, Myers they, Leonard yeah. giving decent minutes and then bam sort of exploding on the scene. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I was going to say, it's not really a surprise to have Dragic um, contributing there, but turning back the clock the way he has really is surprising. And I was, you know, I'm thinking with Winslow, you know, one of the reasons why I hold him is that I, I think that he will contribute, but I think that he, I've, I've been banking on the idea that he's going to be in the second unit now. I think that they have, so much playmaking um, with Jimmy, you know, provided they're healthy, of course. Right. They they have so much playmaking with Jimmy Butler um, and Goran Dragic that they don't really need him the way that they did last season. But then he's a huge luxury coming off the bench. I and as a I've fantasy been, guy, he gives you stats out of position too. Correct. Well, and he has great positional flexibility because he has point guard, small forward, and power forward, which right. is you know. For a lot of players, that's a, that's a good reason to keep them is just the ability to slot them in in a daily roster league like ours. But right. I w- I've been trying to find a source for this because I don't remember where I saw it. But there was – and I don't think it was just some random Twitter comment, but I, I think someone wrote an article about it. I just can't remember. But it was the question of whether kind of already for what the Heat need – um, whether Tyler Hero is better for them than Josh Richardson, and oh, I think I, you're just thinking of me. I tweeted it from our shot tower. Uh, that's what it was. A that's, couple days ago. This is that's, the best. This that's is the best. I, I knew I read it somewhere, and I was like, I was like that. That was a question I wanted to pose to you, and so now just knowing that you're the person <laughs> who said it, Jalen. Um, like, what's your, you what's your rationale? It's a little, it's a little early. It's a little early for it, but I also thought that's a reasonable thing to say. I was like, that's <laughs> that's intriguing to me. I mean, like he really is. He, he seems to be that dynamic a player and he opens up the offense in the way that they, you know, he's got better shooting range than Josh Richardson will ever have. And, and it's just, yeah. that's just the fact that's who he is as a player. And it might just be perfectly what the heat need right now. So yeah, tell me about it, Jalen. Yeah. I mean, I think I was thinking about it and I originally came to the question because I was thinking of the Jimmy Butler sign and trade. And I was thinking like, did they really like this? I was thinking about it almost as like who replaced Josh Richardson. And obviously the initial answer is Jimmy Butler. But I was kind of thinking about it more in the sense of that Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero were actually the real replacements for Josh Richardson because basically the Heat would have been able to keep Richardson on the roster had they not signed these large contracts for Kelly Olenek, Dion Waiters and James Johnson. And the, so I think you know, Jimmy Butler or a star was always in the plan. So even though it ended up being a replacement, like um, Jimmy Butler for Josh Richardson, I don't think that was the original plan and they, the contracts just came back to bite them. So that's kind of how I got to the thought of Josh Richardson versus Tyler hero. Um, How does the defensive, you know, position line up for you there? Because obviously hero, and this is, this is probably a, never will have the defensive impact that Josh Richardson has. He doesn't have the length that he has. And I don't, I know he may not have the motor in quite the same way. Um, or do you see something different from what? No, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think 
and in my tweet, I basically was trying to focus the conversation on offense because I think it's clear that Richardson is a better defensive player. And for that reason is probably still a better all around player. He's, he's a better all around player right now, but you could see a situation in which heroes offense might make him make it a fair conversation or make him the better all around player in the future. But I think certainly and the way that they play team defense might, shore up whatever defensive liabilities he has because i mean mean, let's just be honest they're winning big right now hero's enough of a dog i mean the kid plays hard so even if you know he's not the greatest defender he's still playing his role in that team defense okay yeah no you're absolutely right i mean he locked up donovan mitchell and there's a if you look it up donovan mitchell admitted as much uh when the heat played the jazz he said tyler hero kicked my ass tonight um like he he guarded him in the final possessions of crunch time of that game and i think it was like a three-point game or something so he can certainly play defense he's done the same thing he did a similar thing against devin booker earlier this year where he guarded him for a stretch and got a couple steals so he's aggressive he's confident you know jimmy likes to say he's like He's always got something to him. He's braggadocious. So I think that bodes well for his defense. Um, But I just think that eventually in certain matchups, you know, his physical limitations will factor in. Obviously, uh, like you said, Richardson is longer, more athletic, has more positional diversity. I think you would imagine Hero's mostly going to guard point guards and shooting guards and probably not the quickest point guards. Um, You don't imagine he would be able to fare well against bigger, small forwards. Um, but I think what I, the reason that I wanted to say that is because basically Josh Richardson is a great, is a better three point shooter right now than Tyler hero. He's a better pull up three point shooter right now than Tyler hero, but Tyler hero takes more pull up threes. And if you just watch their shooting forms, there's no way that Josh Richardson is ever going to be able to take as many pull up threes as Tyler hero can. Uh, Richardson really has this like full body turn where his shoulder, his shooting shoulder is aligned to the basket, but uh, his body is basically almost completely turned to the side and he shoots from the left side of his body. So he kind of has to swing the ball around and the release at the top is like, it's not necessarily like a natural motion. It's not unnatural. It's it's not like a, a bad shooting motion by any means, but it's just not as fluid as hero shot is hero can pick the ball up and fling it to the basket so much easier. So I think a, that projects well for his offensive ceiling B um, Richardson's, uh, Richardson has been more of an assist guy this year in Philly, um, you know, where they don't have like a traditional point guard in Ben Simmons per se, but I think hero looks like he's going to be pretty good out of the pick and roll as well. He's got really good feel. Um, and not only as a passer, but he can find little shots in the mid range, uh, out of the pick and roll. You know, he's, he's got good feel for like where the defender is, how to like hesitate, fake one direction and then turn back the opposite direction or switch directions and get space for his mid range jumper, which is, I think when you watch Josh Richardson play, that sort of feel really isn't there. It's more like, you know, he's going to get to a spot, rise up and try and shoot over you. And if you have the length and athleticism to contest him, you'll bother his shot. So that was really what I was thinking. Well, let's talk big picture narrative here, because this is a big picture narrative. I mean, we're talking about a trade that just happened this last offseason. The Heat have nipped the Sixers twice this month, and it looks really possible like these two teams 
could meet up and really the way that we're talking about it should meet up. I mean, the NBA would love this narrative um, in the playoffs. The Sixers seem like they're not playing for wins right now. Um, in a number of different ways, they they seem really willing to mix up lineups and rest Embiid and all the, or at least that's another narrative that's going around right now is that the Sixers are playing more for the postseason than what they are right now. But I can't think it helps their confidence that they keep getting beaten by the Heat and knowing that they could run into the only guy on their team from last year's playoffs who could really get a bucket when they needed to. And that's Jimmy Butler, of course. Um, and when you're looking forward to that, what's your prediction now? Yeah. So, I mean, I think my brain says that like the Sixers should still win, but I do think that like, I think when we're talking about the heat, we kind of have to have a conversation about just like, they're kind of having a magical season, you know. Um, it feels like everyone on the team likes uh, their teammates. It feels like they're all pulling for each other. It feels like everything is meshing, you know. Uh, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, which is not something that you can really feel like you can say for the Sixers in the regular season. So I feel like from an on-paper perspective, it would make sense that the Sixers would win. But I think I'm moving closer towards like maybe I'd pick the heat. And I think one thing, if we want to talk about sort of an X's O's X's and O's and lineups thing is that uh, Al Horford has basically been useless in the matchup against the heat. And they've been able to play him off the floor, which seems like a big thing because the person that Al Horford basically whose spot he took in the starting lineup was Jimmy Butler. And if he can't do what Jimmy Butler gave them in the playoffs or approximate it in other ways, um, specifically against the Heat, that seems like a real problem. He was like a minus. He was a, a major minus, and I think only had five points in the latest game against the Heat. They basically neutralized him altogether. So, I mean... Was he on the floor at the end of that game? I don't remember no. him being there. Uh, Trey Burke was playing a lot um, at the end of the game because they needed more spacing and shooting. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, that yeah. just goes to show you like yeah. how poorly he was playing in the game. So, I mean... I think I don't really have an answer. Like I think right now, if you ask me today, I would still pick the Sixers. But I'm legitimately you know. worried. I yeah. I as someone I I I root for the Sixers, and uh, you know, since moving to the East Coast, I feel like they just became my team. And I look at it, and I think it's kryptonite. I just don't feel that they the the, the two matchups so far don't seem to indicate to me that there's some switch that they can turn on that's going to, you know, rectify all of the, the imbalance. Well, I, I would suggest though, that, that the Sixers lost this game on Saturday Trey being over. in the game, Trey Burke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of says everything. They need more shooting and I don't know if they're going to have it. I mean, I, if you look at the end of the, that Sixers game, though, and that loss to the Heat, the Sixers lost the game in a bad way. It was surprising that it went that way. There were a couple of opportunities, even in the last seconds, that the Sixers just completely blew. With 25 seconds left, let's see if I have this right. Yeah, with 25 seconds left, the Heat were up 
no, the Heat were down three. Jimmy Butler gets followed. He's he's been eight of eight on free throws, but misses the first one, makes the second. Now the Heat are down two. 18 seconds left. Tobias Harris misses a wide open dunk. Ben Simmons gets the rebound, and B loses the ball to Jimmy Butler on the same play that Jimmy Butler got called on a foul a minute or so before. And that's the same thing that also happens with three seconds left. He loses the ball to Jimmy Butler again. The Sixers made a ton of really stupid errors in that last half minute, where if they're just simply managing the game, it doesn't come out this way. Yeah, I think I think I agree. Like I totally agree with that. Like the Sixers were in control of the game late. They had a chance to win. If Embiid gets fouled instead of losing the ball there when he's like trapped, then the game is completely different. You know, Tyler Hero hit a crazy shot, which is just it a low percentage awesome. shot. You know, like um, <laughs> you know, he's he's shooting but, shooting twenty eight percent on pull up threes. So like he it's stepped a low percentage into that shot. with so much confidence and just <laughs> I mean it yeah. was just sort of a great moment. It was that magic moment for that yeah. team. Yeah, I was watching the game and like tweeting through the game. I was like, I'm sweating through my jeans here in Baltimore <laughs> watching this Sixers Heat game. But what I was going to say is that I think the reason why I wouldn't simply um, pass that off as like, oh, if they just, you know, execute in yeah. crunch time, they'll be fine is because Ben Simmons is turnover prone. Joel Embiid is turnover prone. Um, they don't really have like a true point guard, uh, especially since Ben Simmons doesn't like to get fouled late in game. So he kind of right. like runs away from the ball, essentially, because he doesn't want to go to the free throw line in those situations. Um, and, you know, like they don't have Jimmy Butler anymore who like would settle them, who would take the big shot, who would get his own shot in crunch time. So I feel like you could have a concern about whether or not they'll be able to execute well in, in crunch time. Yeah. Last point before we leave off on the Heat. They just lost to the Wizards, and the Wizards just keep scoring points. I mean, just keep scoring like absurd numbers of points. And uh, th- there needs to be some award for Scott Brooks this year um, for keeping that offense going for a team that is going absolutely nowhere. Yeah. It's been so- amazing. Where are these guys coming from? <laughs> Jordan McRae? Who who was paying attention to Jordan McRae? And he's put up great numbers the last few games. I mean, I think, I don't know how much of this is attributable to Dean Oliver, but Dean Oliver is a coach now. <laughs> he's an assistant coach for the Wizards. I mean, they were a good offense last year. So again, I don't want to attribute it all to him, but he's there. I mean, supposedly they have a new like analytics fo- focused front office Um they have Sashi Brown, I think, who's in the front office, who was formerly of the uh, Cleveland Browns. Um, so, I mean, I think – and Bradley Beal's been really good. I think he's averaging like 27-7 and seven this year. Um, Isaiah Thomas can score. And they basically told Davis Bertans to shoot <laughs> and Jan every Mahimi. shot you want. Um, <laughs> and Jan Mahimi went 10 for 11 from the field for 25 <laughs> points against the Heat. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's crazy. Do we have any inkling that Dean Oliver is involved in these particular player choices that keep showing up and filling stat lines? Do we know? Well, I mean, I don't know. You would have to think if he was there instituted already in the summer, you would have to think he would have wanted 
uh, Davis Bertans because Bertans was a right. great shooter last year for the Spurs, and the Spurs just have this offense where they take a ton of mid-range shots. And he got to Washington, and they basically told him there is no such thing as a bad shot for you. So now he's curling <laughs> right. off of screens, taking pull-up threes, taking contested threes off the catch. Like so, I mean, you would have to think, if nothing else, that he was a part of that sort of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but bef- before we move on completely, um, Kyle, you brought up the hero which Richardson conversation that I had already like sort of thrown out there on Twitter. And I think if I was to sum it up into one stat line, it would be that uh, Tyler Hero is shooting 47.8% on catch and shoot threes this season. Um, and Josh Richardson have, has never shot higher than like 38% on catch and shoot threes in his career. Um, so, I mean, I think Hero's just a flat out much better pure shooter and once that translates to his pull-ups there's going to be a lot less opportunity for Richardson's offensive game to be better than his yeah all right well I'm going to take the Dean Oliver transition from uh the 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 Wizards and talk about the Mavericks because um one of the things going on in Dallas is uh, they are using analytics uh, more aggressively than they have in the past, and it's led to the Mavericks, as of one or two games ago, having a historic offense with an offensive rating of 115.3. Uh, and this um, historic offense was followed, um, and part of this came because Doncic was out hurt and KP was more the focus of the offense, but a lot of people, reporters, were questioning the fact that KP's out at the three-point line and not uh, in the post in any way in this offense. And Rick Carlisle just sort of went off on a really great after-game rant about this, using analytics to explain why KP was out there and why that is the reason they have the historic offense versus putting him in the post where you know he's scoring less than a point per possession. Yeah. Remind me of when that criticism came out. Was it right after the Lakers game? I mean, I, I think it was that game because a lot of people were watching and it was sort of, you know, it was, it was sort yeah, of a standard, they always, it was a line. It's like KP 7-3, put him in the post. Well, KP's not good in the post. And even before his injury in New York, he was only okay in the post. And now he's not good in the post. And people so, always try to look for reasons why a team lost when it could have been yeah, a schedule yeah. lost. It could have been that they were on the road. Uh, it could be that Doncic isn't right. right. Their you transcendent know, like, star wasn't running the offense. Like that's a good explanation. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so I've just found this fascinating, and that that um, Rick Carlisle was able to shut up a bunch of reporters by actually just citing statistics. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. Well, you know what I think happened? I think it was a TNT like Shaq and. Um, Oh, uh, um, you're Shaq right. It was half thing, and right? then somehow maybe someone like reported back um, to Carlisle that they were saying that because I I feel like the reporters probably know that <laughs> that KP's bad yeah. in the post, but like yeah. it's Shaq and Chuck that anytime they see a big shoot a three in any time in the game, it just like irks them and they're like get get in the post, get your butt in the post, yada <laughs> yada yada. But yeah, I mean KP is super tall. He probably doesn't have insane lower body strength or core strength. He can't bully people. Um, he's got a high center of gravity. The post-up's just not a good shot for him. But I think this does bring up a point is that, like, I don't think that the Mavericks have two stars. Because 
KP in this form, whether it's due to injury or it's just like figuring out the system uh, in Dallas, he's essentially um, Brook Lopez. He's not he's not the <laughs> player that like they I think were hoping to get in the trade and that the Knicks thought they had when they draft him, you know, he's not like really unicorn esque. If all he's doing is shooting threes and he's not shooting them at like an insane at 40%. I think he's like 35 or something like that. So, I mean, that's a real changed, right? I mean, since the last time Porzingis truly played in a competitive way, the game has changed a bit and I'm not sure he's fully adjusted to that or the recovery from his injury. So I think some of these things could still be involved and we could see more for him from him as the Mavericks move forward. But yeah, yeah. and I don't, I don't mean to suggest that he's not valuable because he's seven, three, he's a great rim protector. I think he's like the key to their defense. He's still going to get, you know, offensive rebounds and put back dunks. He can still be an effective player, but he's not, it's not like a LeBron James, Anthony Davis pairing. Luca might very well be on that level already, but they right. don't have the second star. I guess that was my only point. Right. Right. Yeah. And they don't, I mean, and, um, there are multiple guys who could show up that way. Um, KP is the most obvious, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I'd expect that he'd still have, you know, like another plateau to reach after an ACL injury. And you might see that three point percentage go up. And I think his blocks have been down since he was in New York. And I think that, you know, those are, you know, those and steals are effort stats that, that are really dependent on, you know, yeah, I don't think his helped. legs are yeah. with him quite yet. He's getting there, but it's it's he, he's not playing at full strength, is my read on how he looks. Yeah. Um, all right, let, let's uh, let's stick in the West. Um, LeBron James has had a very big uh, week or couple of weeks, so I want to say happy belated birthday to LeBron. Um, AP named him the athlete of the decade, and he also uh, passed 9,000 career assists, the 9,000th ninth, going to AD, the teammate to whom he has passed the most by percentage ever of any teammate. Um, so happy birthday, LeBron. This has all been great, except for your encounters with Patrick Beverly. Um, any thoughts on the AP athlete of the decade stuff? There have been uh, some detractors out there. I... I think it's completely dead on. I mean, he dominated the East for eight seasons. I, you know, I was just reading, um, Mike Lee wrote an article in the athletic. I think it came out an hour before we, we got on here and he called him, I think the most accomplished player of the decade. I mean, he was the, the, the phrasing is, you know, I think speaking to some of those detractors. Um, but I think it's, you know, if you're measuring the impact of any player over the full 10 years, I I think it'd be really hard to name anyone other than LeBron. I think that you could say that Curry was maybe um, more iconic in a way in like that three to four year run that he had. Um, I think between... you could say he's responsible for changing the game more. Too. Yeah, I, I think definitely. And but just in terms of like center of gravity for the NBA yeah. and like how it's 
I mean, just look at what's happened to the Eastern Conference in the last two years since he left <laughs> sure. and, and, and how all of a sudden all these teams are now competing yeah. again because basically teams have just given up. They, you know, there's there just like you're in the East. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I have no argument. I mean, LeBron is, is a monster. Um, I mean, yeah, I think – I don't really think there's an argument that you would say like uh, – Curry was the athlete of the decade, but I think their impact and how they change their game is like, you know, something we can talk about. You know, I think Luca is a direct descendant of, you know, LeBron, these like pow- these uh, passing um, forwards, you know, that we see right. today that are more popular. But I mean, I, I think I I responded to someone on Twitter about this. They're saying that like Curry, like that Trey Young shooting a couple deep threes is not like a real impact, but I think Curry's impact goes a lot further than that. You know, basically he turned the pull up three into a viable weapon that teams embrace now and Harden, you know, turned it into an even greater weapon. But, you know, the first person to do it was Steph Curry. He turned the deep three into a weapon that now Harden, Damian Lillard, Trey Young, all these guys are also embracing. You know, I think we forget how resistant NBA teams were to the three-point shot and to the deep three and the three-point shot in general, like just as recently as like four to five years ago, like if it wasn't for someone being that efficient at it, being that, you know, devastating with that weapon, I don't think we would see uh, this transformation that we got in this, in this decade, Uh, but for Curry's impact. Yeah. And we're still behind. I mean, that was the heart of the KP criticism uh, from from Charles Barkley and whoever else was on the the, the show that night, um, uh, you, you know, about putting KP in the post instead of having him at the three point line. Like even that criticism in that specific instance ignores the obviousness of how the game has changed and what the math is. Yeah, totally. But I mean, like everyone, I feel like just about everyone who's a star these days is in some way like a descendant of the like Le- the LeBron James tree, you know, like Giannis, Kawhi, yeah. you know, K- yeah. uh, Luca, all these people were influenced by LeBron. So I don't want to take anything away from LeBron. I'm a Curry fan. And like, I tweeted this out the other day, like Curry's 2015, 16 season was a drug. Like it was just, <laughs> it was, it was an experience like that. I don't know that will be replicated anytime. Yeah. Soon. But I'm yeah. I'm biased and and no, I don't think you're biased. I think some of this also just comes down to health, though, too. I think that if you know, so there are a couple of things. You know, Curry starts the decade as a rookie and as a, a rookie who had trouble getting his ankles healthy, and so he doesn't come on until really like 2012, 2013, when he starts to really push those three point nu- numbers, you know, season three point numbers. Um, but then he, he, you know, he's injured now. Um, he, he was injured for crucial times in what was it? 2016 and it might've even been 2017 and 2018. I mean, he's, he's injured a little bit off and on the whole yeah. like later part of the decade. And he was injured at the very beginning that said, his heights when he was healthy um, were as high as anything that we've seen, you know, at, at least in the decade. And, you know, the only thing that comes close, I think, for LeBron was that it would be the 2016. 20, 
Well, twenty six. I was thinking twenty eleven though season um, when he had that string of games when he was scoring over thirty and was shooting like over sixty percent from the field and in a you know just like a crazy um, you know when the Heat were starting to click. Um, yeah. It might might have actually been twenty twelve that that happened after after the loss to the Mavs. But um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that you know Curry had like a greater height in the decade, um, but Le- LeBron had more sustained greatness and just simply more impact in terms of playing time. Um, that I can completely buy why Michael Lee. Sorry for shortening the name. <laughs> There's just so many. So many Michaels and Mikes out there. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I totally, I totally agree. I have nothing, no, no problem with that at, at all. LeBron's a monster, but I think I wanted to say, um, since we're talking about LeBron, um, Justin Russo, flyby night, uh, on Twitter, uh, he tweeted out some stats that I thought were interesting, and he said prior to the Indiana game, LeBron was. Um, of James' total field goal attempts were inside of eight feet, uh, where he was shooting 63.7%. Since then, 45.5% of his total field goal attempts have been inside of eight feet, uh, where he's shooting 52.5%. He's 14 of 48, 29.2% on jumpers outside of eight feet in that span. It was 37.6% prior. And basically all that to say that since the Indiana game, I don't know if LeBron has or is healthy. And I think this is like a serious yeah. thing and something to monitor for the Lakers championship hopes. Um, and maybe also for fantasy, because, you know, Kyle, you have a team that dominates in field goal percentage. And if all of a sudden LeBron's field goal percentage starts dipping, he's a major reason why that's uh, you're going to be dominant in that category. So, I mean, yeah, I just right. think it's something to monitor, especially at that volume. Yeah, it's interesting to see him come back so early. I mean, to me, it, my first reaction was, oh, maybe the injury on Christmas Day um, wasn't as acute as what it seemed initially. And my second thought was that they care so much about seeding this year that LeBron is going to be back and playing as much as he can to keep that gap between them and Right now, the Nuggets, but probably I think eventually it's going to be the Clippers. Um, it, you know, intact. Don't, don't count the Nuggets out. They're playing well now. The last two weeks, they've been pretty great. Oh, I don't. I just think the Clippers are have a higher ceiling and are a better team. And, you know, they have little things going on right now, like Patrick Beverly, um, you know, having, you know, it. it's tough to say what that injury is right now because it seemed really minor and then it seemed to be that he's going to miss a few games and now i just don't know if we're getting all the information um and you know those injuries and if they choose to sit pg and Kawhi will obviously change their end of season wins outlook um but my thought is just that they have such a deep bench and they have so much talent and they're likely to only get better from increased chemistry and playing time together. Whereas I think a lot of the wins are baked in right now for the Nuggets because they have, you know, they were the second winniest team in the Western Conference last year. And 
they're largely the same team that they were. And so that, that was more or less the way that I was thinking, but yeah, let's, I mean, let's talk about the nuggets. Well, um, I don't have a ton to say, but one of the things to say is over the last two weeks, I believe they've had the highest offensive rating of any team in the NBA. It was around 118 or something over that span, which is um, if they were to keep it up would be a, the historic best offense ever. And it's happening in a few ways. One of it is, uh, is, is Jokic is just, um, playing much, much better. He seemed to have lost some confidence earlier in the season. That confidence is back. He's shooting well. His percentages are back up. Um, Gary Harris was is starting to play well, uh, even though he just got hurt. But in him getting hurt, we saw Michael Porter Jr. come off the bench and get a start, his first start. Eight for looked, 10 from the field, yeah. Yeah, he looked, um, I don't know if you saw any of that, but he was moving much better than he was the first few weeks of the season, which was the last time I really sort of paid attention to him. He looked much quicker out there, was fluid, knew where to be, you know, was making some really good glue plays, um, nice, efficient scoring, all of that stuff. So um, there's, there's, a, there's a rumble uh, happening with the Denver Nuggets uh they could they could continue to improve in some serious ways yeah I'm a bit forlorn about um my fantasy decisions at the moment I've dropped like all my young guys basically and I was on a bit of a winning streak which is nice and I'm like I think still currently in the playoff hunt in the scorekeeper uh fantasy basketball league but yeah, I dropped Anthony Simons, who was picked up, who I don't know if anything drastic has changed, but he's still showing those flashes and he could be a real player. But it was just uh, he was giving me so few complimentary stats outside of just points, really, in threes um, right. that I tried to get, you know, a player like uh, Derek Jones Jr., who's will get three steals in a game and two blocks in a game and, you know, five rebounds in a game. So, uh, but yeah, now I have no Anthony Simons, no Michael Porter Jr. I don't have, Well, I think it's still a little, yeah, I still think it's a little early on Michael Porter Jr. Even though he's strung together two good games, but those, but he's probably back to the bench when Harris comes back. Right. And we're talking, and we're talking like seven minutes a game after that. And, but he is, this is the trade. Are we going to see the trade? And by all accounts, Michael Porter Jr. is off limits now for the Denver Nuggets to trade. We're looking at Beasley, Morris, or Hernan Gomez going out, possibly. Um, would that be enough to make him viable again? I think he's a hard keep. I think that they're going to... I actually, when they say that he's off limits, I believe them, and I think that they're going to stick to it. I think that he's like... Tatum and Brown were for the Celtics when they were talking for AD and um, and I and I think rightly so. If if I were so Jalen should leave him on the wire for now. For now, but it's only because we're a daily transaction league and it's really hard to hold a healthy player who's only going to play seven minutes a game. Right. Right. And that in and, and he doesn't have really he I think he's a player who kind of needs some rhythm and he also doesn't get you a ton of um, defensive stats. But I think those will come once he starts to get minutes. But yeah. as as of now, he's not somebody who's going to go out there in seven to ten minutes and pull you down like a steal or a block, which is going to sort of make the the other numbers relevant for you. Right. I mean, even with Harris coming back, though, I'm going to suggest that his minutes will be over seven. They've been trying to get him more. Harris's injury just led to an opportunity where they could give him a clump of minutes. Um, and I Mike think Malone he'll be in the low out. teens after this. Yeah, and Mike Malone came out and said that that he, you know, that that he's a you know cornerstone piece of their future, and I do think that they 
they are looking for ways to get him more involved. It's just really hard because, you know, I think Beasley deserves minutes and, you know, Will Barton yeah. is playing great. And, um, you know, Monte Morris is still a really reliable player and um, Tory Craig and like they just have yeah. a lot of pieces who, you know, a lot of players who deserve time and can make good use of that time and who they might be wanting to showcase right now because they might want to trade them for well, a piece like Drew Holiday. One of the suggestions has been that they've kept Beasley, Morris and Craig to some extent on the bench in low minutes because they showed so well last year. They didn't necessarily need to do it again this year, early in the season to keep their trade value. So some of the suggestion is that they've been kept fresh to be even more potent trade chips for whoever might want them. Yeah. That seems smart. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think with, with uh, Michael Porter Jr. You're in a situation where you either have to be early or you're out essentially because as soon as he starts getting consistent minutes, like five games in a row of, you know, 15 plus minutes or something, I think someone will snatch him up. He's at last I checked, he was still on the wire, which is a bit surprising since a guy like um, Gary Payton, the third uh, was, is not oh. on the wire. <laughs> uh, I mean, he did have like five, I- steals in or like five rebounds five like he had a crazy line in his first game so i so i was playing smooth floss last week and he picked up gary payton uh junior or the third which i can't remember no i think it's the second but okay the second he picked him up and i was so proud of myself for surviving gary payton the second's 13 steals in three games last week yeah like it was it was was insane and i think he's kept it up not six in two different games again but he's continued to keep this up i'm fascinated by these older players 26 28 you, you know coming in and having these just insane games like this mccray did it um, we've seen a bunch of other players, Peyton being the most recent, obvious one. Um, any thoughts on those guys for fantasy? Kyle, do you stay away? Uh, you know, most of my players are too good to drop right now. Um, I've, I've, I've got a tough decision right now with Jackson Hayes because I really think that he has a lot of potential going forward. Yeah, it's definitely. tough because I don't think that he will be valuable enough for me to keep. So he, in that sense, becomes a drop. But the players who are available right now, even when he's only playing like 10 minutes a game, yeah. to, to me, like, no, I'm not going to pick up, um, you know, Gary Payton II um, to, <laughs> right. to, for Jackson Hayes. And it just is because his potential going forward, even if he's not going to give me that kind of impact in the immediate, you know, in the near term in like a matchup for this week. Um, you know, it's, it's also sometimes I hold players cause I don't want someone else to get them. You yeah, know? And, sure. and I don't, I don't even know who that other else will be, but I just don't want them to also, can I just say, um, this rarely happens. Um, I'm watching league pass right now awake in Rome because they're usually not on at this time. Um, I'm usually asleep by the time that any NBA game starts. So I'm watching Philadelphia, um, Indiana right now. And uh, it's just thrilling. 
It's just it's really good to be back. Yeah, I just realized we have two games going off already. Uh, uh, three o'clock Eastern time. It's tied in Charlotte. Boston and the Hornets are 15-15. And the Sixers are up. Uh, no, the Sixers are now down 19-17 to to the Pacers in Indiana. So, yeah, that's happening while we're talking. Yeah. Yeah, it's the the quirks of the season that are always fun, you know, on Christmas and then around the holidays when we get games at different times, get the noon start time on Christmas. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think as far as these um, players on the waiver wire, I think the fact that it's the daily transactions in our league makes some of them viable, at least, you know, for a week at a time, I think the, the wizards just have so many injured players that there's room for Peyton the second. Um, and you know, that might not be the case when everyone gets back healthy, they may send them back down to the, uh, the G league or who knows, you know? Right. Right. So let me ask, um, another player that sort of fits this mold. I mean, we all have them on our teams, uh, Jalen, maybe, uh, D'Anthony Melton fits this mold. Uh, for me, I guess it would be, uh, Christian Wood, who has been nicknamed the crucifix. Um, what do you think? Um, like, I feel really good about the Christian Wood pickup. I had to do it a little early because our league is so aggressive. Somebody else would have grabbed him if I left him there too much longer. I feel like he's not quite there, but his minutes could open up in a significant way in the next month. And it could be a great pickup. It might well, also peter out to nothing. Who knows? Wait, well, are, you pre- are you predicting that either Blake Griffin or uh, Andre Drummond gets traded? I think one of them could get, I think Drummond could get traded. I don't think it's going to happen with Griffin. He's so hurt. I don't uh, see how anybody picks him up or wants to trade for him right now. I think he's he's going to be healthy and not play so much. So I think Wood could get some opportunity there. Morris has also been hurt. So there's just some opportunity sort of bubbling there, so to speak, that hasn't quite coalesced. Yeah, I mean, I think... Blake Griffin is so injured and seems to be lingering from last year that it seems like there should be plenty of opportunity for Christian Wood, whether he's traded or not, which I mean, I doubt anyone's taking on that massive contract. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think with a guy like Christian Wood and DeAnthony Melton, I think these players are better than someone like Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. maybe has more promise, but with a guy like DeAnthony Melton and Christian Wood, I think there's flashes. You know, Melton, as we talked about, I think on a previous pod, was like in the top 40 for RPM. Uh, and, is, first... and is moving up and also shows up really high in 538's Raptor ratings as well. So sort of fascinating how well he does in, what, 17 minutes a game or something? Yeah, and I think he's in one of the, like, uh, plus plus minus lineups for the the Grizzlies. So like yeah. I think it's him and Brandon Clark, Triple J, um, and I you know, probably Jaw, and I forget who's the fifth player, but essentially like he's a good player. He's a plus player for the team. He's a plus in the minutes that he plays. Um and so I mean I think there's just there's in a situation like that, there's plenty of evidence to suggest, hey, if this person gets more minutes, they'll be productive. And with a guy like him, you're not you're not in a situation where you're not getting complimentary stats. You're getting steals, you're getting blocks, you're getting rebounds. He's a great rebounder for a guard, so um, yeah, it, it was an easy pickup, really. It's just you're just hoping yeah. he gets more playing time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's move. Uh, let's move on to our last major topic today: the last two playoff spots in the West. Right now, it's OKC and the Spurs, and we could have a team with a losing record taking that eighth spot. A little hard to believe, but possible. 
I'm hoping for those last two spots to be the Suns and the Kings. Who you guys have? I, I want to see Zion come back and have the Pelicans make it. That would be awesome. I mean, him, I mean, Favors coming on, Drew having um, a, a, a good season, Ingram playing better than he ever has. There's real possibility in New Orleans. Yeah, they've won four straight now and, you know, over some good teams. And, you know, that's and, you know, I don't think we even talked yet about maybe we talked about it briefly last time. But, you know, the that Zion is is learning to walk again. Um, <laughs> right. it, 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 no, it, we didn't. We didn't talk about oh, it. Oh, did we not? OK, but no, we didn't but, do it. But it's, yeah. It's it's been out there for a little while though that you know he's the the, the team is sort of reforming his gate um, and uh, somebody tweeted hopefully it wasn't you Jalen was it you who tweeted that no it, wasn't. <laughs> it was somebody, it was somebody famous uh, that that was tweeted was um, Steph Curry walked so that Zion could walk or something like this. and uh, and uh, um, yeah. I mean, these guys, well, I think in the case of Steph Curry, it was similar but different, obviously, since there wasn't as much of like a weight issue. But uh, Curry just like didn't have the proper hip strength to deal with like playing in the NBA and like protecting his ankles. And he sort of had to do this whole, you know, get the hips stronger because the hips affects the knees and the knees affect the ankles. And it sounds like they're doing something similar with Zion, which sort of restructuring his gait so that he doesn't put undue pressure on his knees and ankles and all these sorts of things. And so, yeah, teach him how to walk, teach him how to run, teach him how to jump, fly, essentially, which is what he's doing when he when he takes off or dunks. Didn't LeBron James change his gait a bunch of years ago as well? I mean, this is sort of a known thing. Yeah, um, the guy puts injury protection. Yeah. Yeah, he puts millions of dollars into his body every year. And I'm sure that it's not just... You know, he's getting everything from, you know, massages and ice baths and whatever else. And, um, yeah. you know, he concentrates a lot on his eating and nutrition. And I'm sure that there is that. I'm sure that he has like kinesiologists telling him, uh, you right. know, if, if they're like seeing things about the way that his, you know, body mechanics are, are working in the game. Um, you know, probably as probably as the game goes on and as we've seen with Second Spectrum and all these, you know, video analysis, those tools of, you know, analyzing body mechanics are going to become cheaper um, and they're going to become more readily available and probably more players will have access to it and it will become, you know, more readily available on their radar. And you might see, you know, you might see fewer of these catastrophic injuries. I mean, we can only right. hope. Yeah, no, I mean, that would be great. It'd be great for the sport. It'd be great for the stars in the sport. Um, that would yeah. raise some ratings for the NBA. Yeah, I mean, to go back to these like last couple spots in the West, I think I basically want to see anyone that's not the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Miami. I'm a Heat so fan. Wait, I have you, a story. You don't to... want to see the Spurs continue the longest playoff streak in, I think, all the major sports? What does that do for me? What do I care? I, <laughs> I don't live in San Antonio. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, I could care less. Let's. Well, you don't live in New Orleans either. They yeah, need to but break it down. They has need to fun break it players. down. San Antonio, they should be out. I, I'm kidding. Yeah. I, I I actually just told <laughs> you I wanted to see the Pelicans make it. Yeah, no, I'm team tear it down in general, just because like I'm usually not a fan of the team that's tearing it down. So um, it seems 
more fun to me to chase draft picks and like watch a team organically rebuild than it does yeah. to watch a mediocre team. Obviously, if you live in the city and you're rooting for the team, then it's still rough to watch your team lose for a couple seasons. But yeah. I think in all seriousness, the Spurs would, if you gave them truth serum, would probably tell you that they are they need to tear it down and they need to start their rebuild. I mean, uh, yeah. Lonnie Walker can still barely get minutes in the first half of games. And somehow they've managed to sneak into the A spot because Portland is so bad. Portland lost to the Trailblazers last night. I think they were up double digits. They in that lost game. to themselves. I mean, sorry. They yeah. lost. I mean, <laughs> they would, what though. That could happen. That they could happen. They lost lots to the Suns. <laughs> they are losing that bad. themselves this season, I feel like, and in, in the decisions that they made in the offseason. But, yeah, they lost to the Suns. I mean, I don't want to see the Timberwolves in the playoffs because let's get Cat on a real team. Um, also, the, the Suns are, are full team. strength again, though. Don't forget, and they've shown great flashes this year. Yeah, and they're I, only one game out. I mean, yeah. they they're two games out in the loss column, and that's the thing about the Pelicans. I mean, they're they're only it's they are behind the Spurs five games in the loss column, or three and a half games out in general. And if Zion comes back and is as impactful as we imagine he could be, that could narrow really quickly yeah. because the Spurs still haven't shown anything that they're, I mean, I actually think that they probably can't continue to shoot as poorly as they have this year in the same way <laughs> that they couldn't have continued their mid range success from last year. But I still think that the, you know, just having Derek Favors back has been such a boon for yeah. the, the Pelicans that you wonder what could happen if they get this kind of talent um, into the mix. And Brandon well, Ingram, Brandon Ingram, you know, we didn't even yeah. mention the, 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 the players of the week for the East and West. I mean, Jalen Brown um, and Brandon Ingram, I mean, two players who had been sort of written off by a lot of people as sort of you know, overdrafted, you know, drafted right. above what, what their value really was. And both of them really showing out this year. Yeah. I mean, I think just staring at the standings in the West, this is really interesting. The Warriors, I think, were on a four-game winning streak. They went four and one, I think, uh, on a homestand. Uh, we already talked about them beating the Rockets on Christmas. The Pelicans, I think, have won like four out of their last five. Four uh, in a row for the Pelicans. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, it just, and then I'm looking at the thunder who are in the seventh seed right now and the rockets are in the fourth seed. Um, it would be nice. Can we get the rockets up to the two seed and we get a two, seven matchup, uh, between Chris Paul, <laughs> James Harden, and then the Rockets oh, lose to Chris Paul. I mean, I just want to see. I just want to see. I really want to see Chris, if Chris Paul is going to make the playoffs. I want him, them to be in the seven, and I want the Clippers to be in the two because those oh, first. Was- those oh, first you don't two want to see the been... Rockets instead? Like, I would love yeah. to see his retribution You don't want to see James Harden and Russell Westbrook versus uh, Chris Paul and Shea Gil- Gilgis-Alexander? I guess. I mean, I just really like – I've liked, the first two games between the Clippers and the Thunder have been really electric. And I don't think it's going to be that way in the playoffs with everyone healthy and Kawhi actually trying. <laughs> I think I think with the Rockets, it might actually be like a real contest. Fair. I, fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I just I, want to watch him play defense against those guys. Or the Warriors could sneak into the eighth spot and uh, they'll get smashed <laughs> by like uh, whoever's in the one probably. But maybe if well, the, I don't if know. I mean, if. Can Curry and Clay both make it back? 
Yeah, I mean, can they can they trade D'Angelo for Robert Covington or something like this, and you know, really come into the playoffs with like you know, I mean, they're only five and a half out now, and the Kings are only two out, and they just, I mean, uh, they just got Fox back, and well, Aiton's hurt again, right? Um, but or, oh yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. I was mixing up with the Suns and the Kings, right? But Bagley uh, was hurt again. Um, I see possibilities there too. And Deadman sort of asked for a trade. He said he would like to be traded. Um, Maybe they get a piece back they can use because they're not using him. <laughs> they really aren't. Rashawn uh, Holmes. I mean, Rashawn Holmes. Talk about, a fan, talk about a, the biggest fantasy steal of the year. I mean, Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes started on the on the you know as a free agent in most fantasy leagues this year, and he's in the top ten. Yeah, it's amazing. Him and Hassan Whiteside are my two hugest surprises. Have you seen his field goal or free throw percentage this year? He was the fifth rated player in fantasy last week. Yeah, or, I mean, I, for the season. Yeah, I, I haven't seen his field goal percentage, but I saw the the glaring five under rank uh, <laughs> in, the, in the Yahoo. I, I think uh, at, 800 from the line, which is the that's what's changed it. That's insane. But as we're like sitting here bending about ideas about the West, I think it's like a good place to transition into sort of ratings talk or whatever. Cause I feel like what we just did, which is like pinpoint all the million different ways this season could get insanely fun and interesting is what no one seems to be doing. Um, everyone seems to want parody, even though there's so much parody in the West right now. Um, I feel like everyone keeps asking for things they're already getting and it's super annoying. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's just my thoughts, I guess. Um, I don't know. I thought it great. I mean, all I wanted was for the warriors to come in last and it looks like I'm going <laughs> to kidding. You, yeah. I, you, um, you might not finish that way cause their defense has been too good. Um, but let's, um, I, I want to wrap up with one last fantasy observation. Uh, I don't know if this has showed up for either of you guys with your teams or any of the other team to manage. My, um, my casual observation is that these holiday weeks and also all-star weeks, uh, the, the games surrounding them present historically bad shooting weeks. Every single team except hmm. my scorekeeper team is shooting well below the field goal percentage they should be shooting this week. Is it like James Harden at strip clubs? Is just it's, everybody, I, I everybody, everybody yeah, eating that, holiday meals? And it's just that equivalent, kids? yes. It's that equivalent, and it's just it's bad throughout the league. And, and there are exceptions, but generally, I'm looking at teams 50 points below uh, percentage in the last week. My team's so, still been very high, but, you know, I've got a lot of room for error. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just a weird observation. I've seen it happen a few times. Um, I don't yeah. know how to math on it. <laughs> and I think the last the last thing before we close out, what I was going to say about Rashawn Holmes is that if the league wants to fix their rating problem, their ratings problem, they just need to market Rashawn Holmes because his flip shot <laughs> is just – First of all, it's really fun to watch, and he it yep. goes in almost every time. But they should just really lean into the fact that it's a non-analytic shot because it's in the mid-range, and they just really drum up that boomer fan base uh, for the league, and it might save everything. 
I think I think that's a great idea. It really is weirdly fun to watch him make that shot. It doesn't seem as if it should be so easy, um, but it goes in really often. Yeah. All right, that is Shot Tower for week 11. We are turning off the phantom power. Ciao.